zip lock that Right on my waistline is why I kept that strap I remember nights, I didn't remember nights I damn near went crazy, I had to get it right Now I'm your favorite rapper's favorite rapper Hey, now I'm your favorite trapper's favorite trapper The absolute truth, yeah, no joke Ladies and gentlemen TC here. Welcome back to the Trap Draw. We've got a perfect club episode for you today. Uh, of course, thank you to Mr. Jeezy. We've been forgetting to thank him from time to time here. And uh, I, I am joined by two of my most esteemed colleagues, uh, Mr. Kevin Van Valkenburg. How are you, sir? I'm really glad to be here. I, I'm appreciative that I rank amongst the most esteemed. I don't know where the cutoff line would be between like not esteemed and esteemed. Uh, maybe everyone is esteemed. Uh, Easily top ten. Yeah, thank yeah. you for welcoming. Uh, me yeah, I would say there's there's you know different levels of esteem, but you you definitely have a, a a foothold in the esteem category. Speaking of footholds in the esteem category, that was the voice of the Pie Man, Mr. DJ Piehowski, that you heard. DJ, hello. Greetings. Yeah, uh, cold feet in that foothold right now. It's chilly. It's wintry. I think for all of us, you know, different levels of uh, of wintry going on. KVV's got the winter hat on. I'm looking at a bunch of snow out the window. TC, I know it's Florida cold. Uh, so we've got a good movie to talk about. I think in the considering those circumstances, Groundhog Day, a classically uh, wintry movie, and uh, I'm excited to. Get into it. Before we do, we should probably give a shout out to uh, the subtle dog logos, uh, you know, scattered throughout all of our wardrobes uh, provided by our friends at Roback. We are kicking off another year with Roback. Couldn't be more excited about this. We are fresh off of new restocks, polos, hoodies, Q-zips. TC, you know the big three, man. The fit, the feel, the quality. It's all perfect. Roback just restocked their hoodies. Excited is an understatement. Uh, I think that's still accurate. TC, you know how much we love the Roback hoodies. Soft, stretchy, so comfortable, great for activities, working from home in the bleak, wintry conditions. Uh, you all know they have the best performance Q-zips. TC, you, you still big Q-zip guy? You know what? I've I've kind of, no, I'm more, I'm more hoodie these days. And then I've been wearing the heck out of that fleece jacket that, that, that i i guess that is a q-zip it's a fleece q-zip though so how about that they trojan horse one in there for you finally the roback performance polos also excellent best crisp collars that don't lose their shape uh designs are incredible the fit is far better than the old boxy polos you might have grown up with trust us when we say they are worth checking out and if you haven't already, now is the time to load up on Roback for both yourself and for others. Use the code TRAP, T-R-A-P, on Roback.com, R-H-O-B-A-C-K.com for a generous 20% off all bottoms, Q-zips, hoodies, and more with code TRAP. I need to get some bottoms, TC. I need to get some of those five-pocket pants. They look great. But without further ado, uh, thank you to Roback, and let's get into... The reason for the season, uh, why we're hopping on on the blower today to talk talk movies, Kev. I want to throw it to you first. We're talking we're talking Groundhog Day, a movie that's always been close to my heart as someone who grew up just outside Chicago. You know, this movie is predominantly filmed just outside Chicago in Woodstock, Illinois. That was maybe the top trivia just point walking around for everybody that I grew up with. Woodstock was about thirty minutes from my house. Drove through downtown Woodstock a lot. Saw the town square. Woodstock Jewelers, I think you can see in the background of the movie. Uh, so Groundhog Day has always been top of mind for me. But I don't know that I necessarily had it on my short list for, for perfect clubs. Kev, this was when you floated to us. You said, hey, you guys want to hop on, talk about Groundhog Day. Uh, why, did you, uh, why did you do that? Why was this top of mind for you? Well, you know, 30 years since this movie came out, and I think uh, 30 years is a good time to sort of see what comedies have held up and what comedies have sort of disappeared into the ether. This movie, I think, is really fascinating and brilliant because it walks such a fine line between being something that makes you laugh and also something that makes you think about this sort of strange existential journey that uh, Phil Connors has gone on. I mean, I, this movie came out when I was 15. Uh, what do you, when do you guys remember seeing it? I remember my mom, it was a pretty big hit, right? It was like, get grossed a hundred million dollars, like pretty widespread acclaim. I think my mom hated this movie. And so I just remembered her, you know, and I was probably, it was probably too, I was probably too young at the time. I think I was like seven, too young to really understand a lot of the deeper uh, themes and, you know, existential stuff within. Uh, I'd also like to point out you know, clearly a, a very Midwestern movie. Uh, film in Woodstock, Illinois, set you know east of of uh, Pittsburgh, there in Punxsutawney. 
as well. So, you know, just, just, just wanted to throw that in there. Yeah, it was good. They found a, a good Midwestern exactly. uh, locale to, to really capture the, the the heart and soul of the people of Punxsutawney. I want to point out, Kev, I want to get to your question in a minute, but one of the main gripes as I got up early this morning around, you know, I, I got up around 6, 6.30 this morning. He classically wakes up at 6 o'clock every day. You know how fucking dark it is in the Midwest at 6 o'clock? Oh, yeah. That is the biggest gripe with this whole movie. Is there, <laughs> He opens his window. It's clearly like 10 a.m. Every, every day when he, when he wakes up at 6. So that was an issue. I have never but, considered that, Deej. That is clear bullshit. Uh, it's like I woke up this morning pitch black at 6, 6 a.m., uh, definitely, I could see getting depressed yeah. real, wanting to jump into a bathtub with a toaster real quick. If every day it was fucking completely, it's dark. definitely a plot hole. Just like in, you know, I think I think we have a mea culpa, an outstanding mea culpa from the Home Alone Perfect Club that we did uh, before the holidays with Claire, uh, where you know somebody said the most obvious plot hole in this movie is them the the McAllister family flying to Paris on a 10 a.m. flight, like. That would oh, yeah. that would never in a million years exist in any era or airline. Even even uh, you know the flunkies at American Airlines would would have not done that. So anyway, and I know it heavy lies the crown for UTC, but there's no one that should have noticed that. I know more than I know. You. I mean that I got to do for better. that to get under your radar yeah. is tough. Yeah. Well, Deej, I would say one of the other reasons I wanted to pick it is because you know Bill Murray, Harold Ramis, two of the most uh, I think important comedic influences of, of my generation of your guys' generation if i guess if we're of separate generations it's hard to tell sometimes i, I just think like I, I never really knew until i started like researching this i knew that they had been estranged but i did not know that this movie was the source of their estrangement that they basically did not speak for like 30 years uh, until a- after this movie came out do you want to shed some light on that or some color on why that is for people that don't know so Groundhog Day, just to kind of run down some of the basics, uh, is it came out in 1993. Uh, it was directed by Harold Ramis, who you may remember from, you know, was Egon from Ghostbusters, if you're not familiar. Also, you know, was in National Lampoons, Stripes, uh, Meatballs. Some Did of a movie called Caddyshack. People probably a movie called Caddyshack. With. Yeah, might, if you're listening to this podcast, I would assume that you're uh, familiar with Caddyshack. The gr- outline for Groundhog Day is sort of um, – it's kind of based on an. I read this last night. An old Nietzsche uh, like thing about a man who's forced to live out his day over and over again. Uh, it was it was originally drawn up the screenplay by a guy named Danny Rubin, and Danny Rubin came to Ramus with this script, and and Ramus was like, okay, it needs to be funnier, it needs to be funnier, and I think Bill Murray would be a great guy to uh, be involved in it. And Murray was like, no, it needs to be darker, it needs to be more sort of existential, and slowly over the course of the filming like Murray would apparently like call Harold Ramis who'd been his buddy since he was literally like 16 growing up in Chicago and doing second city comedy stuff like, like two, three in the morning be like, yo, we got to make this script like darker. It's got to just be really like really angsty. And I, you know, and Ramis was like, you know, being the guy who had to deal with the studios all the time was like, you know, they really want it to be like a comedy. Like we're kind of like slapstick comedy guys. And so that creative like push pull just continued to grow throughout the course of the film to the point where at the end, Murray was basically never even said anything and he didn't even tell Ramis like what he was mad about, but he kind of basically shut Harold Ramis out of his life forever until like Ramis was on his deathbed uh, at like age 66. So kind of like a sad thing. I mean, there's like some quotes in the, you know, sort of out the time the New Yorker did a profile years later of Harold Ramis and, you know, David Ruman said it was like two brothers who weren't getting along they were pretty far apart of what the movie was about. Bill wanted to be more philosophical. Harold kept reminding him it was a comedy. The same profile Harold Ramis lamented. At times, Bill was just really irrational and mean and unavailable. He was constantly late on set. And I would say what I'd say to him is what we tell our children. You don't have to throw tantrums to get what you want. Just say what you want. He later told the AV Club of Bill Murray, like, he's a very private person. He doesn't do serious interviews. Once in a while, he's not very self-revealing. But the most self-revealing thing I ever saw was that he would never was anything he never did in the press or publicly. It was later movies like Lost in Translation or Rushmore. Those movies kind of just defined a side of him the public was not aware of. If you think if you looked at his career, he got tired of being this crazy life of the party guy. That's quite the load to carry, and he carried it a bunch of times successfully. And he just didn't want to do it anymore. And I think that like this movie was sort of the beginning of that trans like transformation film Bill Murray like we wouldn't have gotten like Life Aquatic we wouldn't have gotten Rushmore we would have gotten you know those later movies lost translation if it wasn't for Groundhog Day so that was a good kind of way to look back as a, a 
transcendent, like transformational moment in comedy. There are certain glimpses of that where like that push pull where, you know, in certain scenes where you just see, God, he wants to dig deeper and deeper into this, but he really can't. Yeah, it's like he had definitely been typecast up to that point. Like my wife's favorite movie ever is What About Bob? And that was the movie he did prior to this one. I, I got to watch What About Bob. Maybe there's a perfect club to do What About Bob. And I've seen it like probably 30 years ago, but I really don't remember much about it other than the the clown stuff and Gina Davis and all that. Uh, there might need to I, be a Richard Dreyfus perfect club. Might ooh. need to just do a complete, uh, you know, completest uh, Richard Dreyfus. Can you Holland? Would be really fun. Exactly. I think there's a, there's a couple interesting things about the, the Bill Murray, Harold Ramis stuff, which number one, I know through reading it, like Bill was going through divorce at the, at the time as well. And so I think he had a lot going on just like in his life, probably uh quote unquote off the golf course. But I think what's, uh, what's kind of like hard to ignore is just the message of this movie. Right. And like the, the way that he, he just seemingly paralleled, like, the first 25 minutes of his character it's like dog did you not read the end of the script like like just stop stop just like blowing people up for no reason i think that's like the whole point like be nice to chris elliott you know be nice to be nice to the guys in the that's tires. an interesting uh, parallel I was, yeah i didn't think about that yeah i think I think that's kind of the kind of the whole point of the movie maybe there was a great anecdote kevin one of the the pieces you shared about Michael Shannon, I had a real like Leo on the couch uh, pointing at the TV moment when uh, when Michael Shannon, who was in he's in the shape of water, he's in like every movie in the last 15 years came on. I think this was his first role. He was the uh, the guy who was getting cold feet or his wife was getting cold feet, uh, you know, on their wedding day. And there was a great story about how he was super nervous to talk to Bill Murray, tried to talk to him about the talking heads, and Murray just absolutely eviscerated him and just blew him up for no reason. Harold Ramis went to go, made him go apologize, and that, that made it even worse. Like he just he he got even meaner after that. So yeah, again, it's hard to hard to not point out that like man, the, the end of the movie I think is is kind of your playbook here. I've I've always been really like reticent about ever meeting Bill Murray and like kind of didn't want to do it just because I didn't ever want to have like this person who I'd built up in my mind kind of ruined. But TC, like you have interacted with Bill, Bill Murray. What has that been like in your actual like, you know, golfing Yeah, life? it's uh, I was kind of anticipating the same thing, especially as someone who, you know, at various times through the golfing lens has, has talked shit about bill murray can we have we ever told that story like front to back no i don't like, think we i'm have. sure maybe we have but it, it bears repeating because do. Solly, so we're we were at uh, a hoopy match club uh one of C- c-suite <laughs> invitation mm-hmm. yeah and uh just bill happened to be at this event and I'm kind of standing in for Solly here because I was not involved in this story, but uh, Solly's talking to him, chatting him up at the bar and and kind of saying like, you know, oh, hey, you're you're playing with my guy Tron tomorrow, my business partner. Like he's got all this like crazy shit going on because this is when Tron was playing left handed for the year. No, he's like, he's this doing all the year this- after lefty, I think. Yeah. Oh, maybe that's what it was. But he was still he was still telling him that's right because it was it was maybe just after that or something. And so Solly's like, hey, you know, make sure you ask him about like all this crazy stuff he does. You know, he'll play lefty for a while. He does all this crazy fashion stuff. You know, like he's just he's a total character. Like, make sure you ask him about all this stuff. And Bill's like, oh, okay, great. And Tron comes over like ten minutes later, and. Tron is just like it has built up in his head. Please correct me if I'm wrong. That they must be over there talking about how Tron has like shit on Bill Murray and the AT and T Pebble Beach Pro Am <laughs> for years, VA just points. saying this guy's a clown. Yeah. yeah, this guy needs to get get. You know, he's we're done with his shtick. His and, shtick uh, at the Pro Am. Right, yeah. Let's. Yeah, I'll, I'll let you take it from. Yeah, there. I, I'd kind of come into this event with like you know I, I'd had a really really long couple weeks at home. I, I it, it was like right after Thanksgiving and. I was worn out from the kids and everything. And uh, so we get to a hoopie and I'm, you know, I look at the board and it's like, all right, I'm playing, I'm playing with Jimmy Dunn the first match and Bill Murray, the second match. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> like I, I was ready to just kind of check out for a couple of days and not have to like be on you're point. Such a, you're such a gadfly, and, uh, TC, you know, just <laughs> bouncing your way through the world. Yeah. Of and, yeah and so, so I'm, I'm thinking about this and I'm like, Oh God, like how, you know, like I'm going to have to acknowledge it. Like he, he, like there's no way he has any idea, but uh, you know, I'm going to have to acknowledge it. So then, so then Sally, I, I walk up and Sally's like, Oh yeah, TC, I was telling him all about you. And like, past and stuff like that so i just assumed that you know he was talking about 
uh, all this stuff. And then, yeah, he, he was like, what do you, he was like, I was like, oh man, like, well, so TC yeah. takes it on the chin. He's like, yeah, you know, I've been talking <laughs> shit. You know, I think you're, I think you're thinking Pebble's like a little tired. And Bill's like, what, like, what are you talking, talking about, like, man? He's like, we're just having a, just having a beer. <laughs> he was just telling me about you play left. Like, oh yeah. Yeah. No, I was yeah. doing that too. No, And then, and then we went out and like, we had a, unbelievably great time and couldn't have been more like I like I thought Bill was going to be super tired of being Bill Murray or just very very kind of frosty and and you know kind of gruff and uh he couldn't have been more engaging and, and switched on and like asked you know asked me a bunch of questions and like like we had spoken at dinner the night before and he was like like you don't project your voice and then I started talking talk about stuttering when I was little and still do sometimes and he's like you know, took me aside after lunch that day and was like, Hey, here's, here's the name of this Institute in the, in the Orkney islands, uh, in Scotland, this, this lady, uh, link later, she, I think she's since passed away, but she's got this Institute up there. They helped me out so much early on in my Saturday night live days of projecting my voice and making it so that you feel like someone is, is speaking from their soul or from their diaphragm instead of just from their throat. And uh, yeah, like he was, he was unbelievable. And then we leave and he's, he's he's pulled over in his S600, like V12 Mercedes Benz. I think him and Coyne were driving back to Charleston and he's pulled over on the side of the road with that. And he's pumping up his tires with a bicycle pump. Because he's had a leak in his tire for like years, but he just refuses (laughs) to get it fixed. He just travels with a bike pump instead. Yeah. yeah, that's incredible. I actually had forgotten as you were telling the story. I have met Bill Murray at the 2016 Ryder Cup. I was following the Spieth, uh, Patrick Reed, and then Stenson and uh, Justin Rose match. And Bill, you know, had gotten like an inside the ropes pass or whatever from the PGA of America. And, you know, when those things like there's only so many people back then, at least we were like inside the ropes. And so you're kind of moving all the same time with the same people. And so like for like two hours, Bill and I were sort of like, you know, kneeling down next to each other. And I didn't want to like, be like, hey, Bill Murray, like a big, big fan. So I just wanted to kind of play it cool. And we kind of had this like unspoken thing between us. It was like, like, hey, man, am I blocking your view? Like, can you see or whatever? And it was really like almost like, oh, man, this is cool. Like, I- I'm I'm being so cool because Bill doesn't like, you know, I'm not acknowledging that it's Bill fucking Murray. And he was always like, oh, are you are you good? Can you, can you get this shot here and stuff? And I remember Spieth walked by him at one point. It's speed that hit like a shitty, shitty drive. And he said, I'm playing like a little boy, Bill. I am just playing like a little boy. And, and Murray was like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just very excited by that. I ball. tried not to like I talk what, to him at all about his career. Like just kind of like go with the flow or whatever. And he brought up certain stuff. And then he was doing little bits all day or, you know, little things of like, oh, you, you hit that same one on three. Like unbelievable, man. And he was kind of acting – almost like that final like that final 20 or 30 minutes where he's just you know like he walks into the halfway house and gives the lady a big hug and she hands him a rum and like knows everybody in the whole joint and we go in and we eat barbecue and fried chicken afterwards and he's like this is the best fried chicken i've ever had in my life and he stands up and he gives the lady a kiss on the cheek it was it was awesome it was just like joyful i was gonna say i think the the circling it back to the movie a little bit like kev i you know I'm, I'm sure you were you were very cool and totally pulling it off you know who probably wasn't doing that is every other person on the grounds at that golf tournament because like when you do go to pebble and you do go see how it looks and how every square inch of that place is full of like people just waiting for him to look over at them and like do a bit or make a funny face or whatever truly can't imagine how exhausting that is so uh, while you know you can't really forgive uh being a dick to uh michael shannon necessarily for for no reason i get the uh you know the fatigue of kind of being slapstick uh you know ghostbusters guy forever and so i think there is tron you said it but like there's a lot of that stuff that comes through in this movie in a really really interesting way that i don't know would have been great if it was somebody else right like i think he's he's almost kind of made to made to play this role i think i read something that tom hanks was going to do it but like they thought he was too nice which i think is is fair because i think those guys are you know they kind of get propped up as like the two everyman everyman actors uh but is there anyone else you could really picture in this role i mean maybe like a jim carrey like a remake kind of thing later in life like someone who can 
play it straight but also have the kind of undertones of humor come through but uh it's it's a very short list and and i don't know like justine and i were talking about it last night after we watched the movie again and it was like what if you remade this today like who plays this because it's probably going to be like you know ryan reynolds or yeah or ryan gosling or someone who's like clearly the most attractive person you've ever seen but they're trying to make him seem like an everyman type of type of guy and it's got that weird undertone to it and i don't know bill murray is just kind of the uh they they don't make him like that anymore kev could you see uh adam sandler doing it that's interesting maybe but adam sandler like even in his like semi-serious things, there's always sort of a you always think like every other line is gonna be like some you know, he, for me, like Adam Sandler can't quite cross that threshold of like, no, no, this is gonna be this, I'm gonna be the straight man, I'm gonna be the sort of sarcastic uh wisecracker. And when he does kind of go into serious mode, it's much more like punch drunk love or something like that, that it, where it's like, no, no, it's like psychotic. It's not like, you know kind of middle-aged malaise midlife crisis the way bill murray does in a lot of these things it's much more like this guy's unhinged and he might break the window well per your point dude like i was thinking is it possible that we'll never see like another movie star that looks like bill murray again like you're right if they cast this today the studio would 100 be like well we, we got to have ryan reynolds like we got to have like a really good looking guy in this role and like you know bill murray's not like an ugly guy but i don't think he's like a handsome guy he's just sort of he's bill murray and so, like a guy who, like you know, is kind of bald, like doesn't have the like the best skin, is just sort of his his charm is what really makes him kind of handsome. It did it did strike me last night. Think watching it, like it's sort of a throwback to a different time. It's like you could never make Seinfeld today because no one ever believed that Jason Alexander would date like a ton of beautiful women for the same reason that Bill Murray can't be like the lead of your movie. Yeah, I think it's interesting. There's a lot of. Um... Yeah, there's a lot to pull on, I think, where if you did make this again, like a lot of it comes back to just like how broad something like this has to be, which is kind of what I love about it is that this is kind of the first thing you mentioned, Kev, but it's like it is a really broad comedy that's, you know, I watched this movie has just like always existed. I know I'm older than this movie, but like it. as far as I'm concerned, like it's it's existed forever. I I don't know what life is like without this. I didn't realize that the term Groundhog Day like wasn't or like like was associated with this movie i thought the term groundhog like it feels like groundhog day just meant like yeah. like that that's been a saying in perpetuity i didn't realize <laughs> yeah no exactly and, and so I, I think what uh where i'm kind of going with that is like I, I love movies where they can shoehorn these like really big existential ideas into like super super broad comedies right i mean i think a lot of the John Hughes stuff is like that and breakfast clubs kind of like that. And like things like that are, are great. But right now, like, I don't think you'd ever make something like this broad. So I was thinking about, again, if you're, if you're making something like this, it's probably more like a, you know, Alex Garland, sci-fi, like Hulu limited series. That's like dark as fuck. Right. And it might have like a totally normal looking Paul Giamatti type of guy in it. Right. But like it, it turns into more of like an art house thing. Like I, I think about like just movies I've seen recently, like dream scenario was the Nick cage movie that came out this year. And it's like got some of the kind of same undertones of this. And Nick cage just is a very normal looking dude in it. But like, you know, there's not, that movie's not going to make like $200 million or which I think that's part of the thing. Like, like it's kind of weird side yeah, art. It's project, like none of the studios, right? like it doesn't seem like there's an appetite to make movies like this anymore. Where the movie makes right. 75 to 125 million dollars and it's not like it, it it's so binary now it's either a fucking blockbuster half a billion dollar win or it's a total failure nick cage with the family but, man is kind of a a, a parallel yeah. to this a little bit right but like, well, like much say, darker like this, but and without the comedy yeah right it seems like this type of stuff like more of this type of stuff gets made it just gets seen by like so many fewer people right because there's so many more avenues for this stuff to get made but it gets it seems like it just gets pushed so far to the extremes where like it is an extremely dark story it has a lot of like super dark undertones like we don't know how many hundred times he just kills himself in this movie for instance and he digs deep into the the nihilistic stuff and there's just a lot of there's a lot of really bleak stuff in there and it just seems like if this was a a limited series or whatever like that would be the the core of it yeah. i would have to think it would be much more 
you know, like, like Dexter. (laughs) Yeah. Something that gets pushed way darker. Whereas if you're in this system where you have to make stuff really broad, like you almost, you know, it gives you more license to kind of have a, a Bill Murray type character in there. Whereas if it had to be broad now, it would just be someone that looks totally different. Speaking of speaking of blockbusters, did you guys see John Mulaney's comment at the award show the other night? So Angela Bassett was nominated for an Oscar in a from a Marvel movie. He's like, from a Marvel movie, that's like winning a Pulitzer Prize for a Reddit comment. (laughs) (laughs) Just too good. I think John Mulaney should host all shows uh, or all award shows from now on. Uh, Deej, as a music guy, I know that you. I want you to think hard about this. If you had to wake up every day, potentially for you know, th- you know, hundreds of years or thousands of years, to one song, uh, as Phil wakes up every day to to Sunny and shares "I Got You, Babe," what would your song be if you could choose? So I think there's a very important distinction here because he, it's not the beginning of the song. So I think the natural inclination is like, okay, what what beginning of the song like do I really like? What's the first you know? 20, 30 seconds of a song, but he wakes up like right in the middle of the song, so you don't really know what you're gonna what you're gonna get. Um, I think a song, man, I don't know. I've been listening to a lot of Steely Dan in spite of Randy <laughs> lately. Song like or Gaps. to spite Randy or yeah, it- sorry. Yes. To spite Randy. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I don't think it's had any impact on him necessarily, but I, I feel good doing it. Uh, song like Gaucho just makes me laugh out loud every time I hear it. I don't know if it would last for a hundred years, but, uh, I'm going to say Kev, there's a, you know, just going back to the, you don't know what part of the song you're going to get. There's a song by Yes called Starship Trooper that if I got to pick a section of the song, I think the the build towards the the back third of that song, right as it's uh, about to hit the solo, I think is a. I don't think I'd ever get tired of that. But oh, sweet. All right. What about you? I, I'd have to. It'd have to be something that was sort of inoffensive. Like I, I'll get. We'll get to our worst song that we could possibly wake up to in a second. But I would say something like new slang by the shins, like something sort of melodic and slow and sort of, because there's going to be some mornings when I'm just like, absolutely, you know, want to go jump in the, you know, in the Canyon and and kill myself immediately. Uh, And if it's like walking on sunshine or something, that's going to, it's going to be a bad, bad 10,000 years that I have to spend in in purgatory. TC, what what would yours? Yeah. I was thinking about that. I'm like, what's something that's breezy, but also you could take it a number of different ways. I think, Wasting away in Margaritaville. <laughs> you know, you, That's a good one or a I think bad that'd be one? A good saying? one, just because, like, you know, you, you can almost come to resent it some days. Of like, it's you know, it's a little bit like, yeah, I'm fucking wasting away here, man. Like, you know, looking for your lost exactly. It's kind of yeah. you know, kind of parallels here. And then, and then, and then, worst song would probably be, I, I like it's my least favorite song that's ever been released. That Gautier song. Someone that I used to know, I that I like that song. Every time it comes on, it's nails on a chalkboard. I was in the dentist office yesterday, and that song came on, and I just I wanted to like run out of the building. Tough combo, awful. Wasn't there some story about Kobe Bryant listening to that like over and over? Am I getting that wrong? I swear to God, there's some Kobe connection to that. We actually ask our boy Solly, our resident Kobe (laughs) hater, about that. Uh, I think both like one of the best and completely one of the worst would be like bulls on parade by rage <laughs> machine. Like some mornings it's just being a pound down and you just would absolutely jump out of bed. And then some mornings you'd be like, God, this fucking song, like, God, I just cannot like a, please kill me now, man. I don't know what the worst, I'm going to have to think on the worst a little bit. The walking on sunshine pull is, is great. That one always makes me happy, but I don't, I don't know beyond day four or five, uh, I, if I would really be able to to get there emotionally, it just reminds me so much of that scene in High Fidelity. For where, sure, uh, that's why it makes me so happy. I think. Yeah, like it's, Jack Black puts it on, and and uh, you know John Cusack's character is just turn it off, turn it off, <laughs> turn it up. Okay, <laughs> Neil had this song. He had uh, he set his alarm every day. Oh, that's a good to, one. Uh, that's what a good was one. it? The Young the Giant song. Young the Giant. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, the one from the the uh, Michelob Ultra commercial. He used to play those like when we were on strapped, like all sharing a weird Airbnb. <laughs> his his uh, his like cell phone version of that song would go off. That's a good one. That would be up there. I, I want to pivot to sort of a broader question, guys. How long do you think that Phil was stuck in this purgatory? <laughs> that was my big question. Like, I, I know like some, how many days does this yeah. go on? I feel like it's just assumed that. I mean, I think how many years does it go on? Like that's I was trying to think is like I mean each of these, each of these days like you got to think 
okay, just very, very basic. Just to, to play the piano like that has to take years, right? Yeah. To to figure that out. So that's even if you're doing it all day, every day, that's gotta take years to figure out. And then he has Keep like mind each that he only gets an hour lesson a day. Yeah, well, that's true. Well, maybe he's got more thousands of dollars. Does he have to rob the truck every day to then have the money to pay the piano teacher? That's a whole other thing, too. Yeah. So it's not only the piano thing, it's like he also learns how to ice sculpt. Gotta think that's mm-hmm. a, it's not like these are consecutive like, years, yeah. Concurrent years. Like they they're like years stacked on top of each other. I like some think. in some iterations, you could do both like half your day in piano, half your day in ice right. sculpting. But to truly get good at ice sculpting, you'd probably just have to dedicate the whole day to ice sculpting or the whole day to piano. Learning French, he does a bunch of the French poetry it's stuff. Like 10, and then he knows hours, every right? I mean ten thousand of each he, of those. He, so yeah. Times how yeah. how many, right? Like plus he knows, times all the days he, he didn't every, do that stuff or all the days it led up to that, you know? Right. He knows every single person in town. Like each of those is a day. Each of those is a like a trail that he has to like follow. And then probably he does it and then he probably forgets that person has to do it again. You know, so I, I think it's like I mean, I think we're talking like like a hundred years i think it's like yeah. a really 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 long time i know the the script or like the screenplay originally they were talking about ten thousand years was how far he was down there which is sort of like the buddhist tenet right it says that you know a buddhist has to like live and die ten thousand times for their soul to really sort of feel enlightened but I, you sort of mentioned a little bit dj one of the thing that really kind of like blew my brain last night watching it it's like think about the fracturing of each timeline right it's like if you go and you're trying to sort of woo annie mcdowell's character then each time you sort of like whiff on that it's like fuck like i either got to go and like kill myself to like start the day over again (laughs) or i have to like live out the rest of this fucking day and then when i wake up in the morning i have to like make these all these same choices just to get back to that same moment that i fucked up previously so like you know you got to rob the truck right because you got to be able to pay for all the things you got to like you know, sweet talker and be nice. You got to go have a snowball fight. You got to do all this stuff. And like, if, if you fucked up, like each one of those times, we'd be like, God damn it. Like now I have to like, remember this like chain of events that got me back to this original point that I'm doing this to, to try to yeah. sort of, you know, I don't know. In learning all those little details about everybody, like those, you know, those stack up or whatever. What, so KV, you sent over that article that was kind of the other theory of like that, that, he just died in the first place and this was everything flashing before his eyes kind of, you know, it, your brain's still going, your body's dying and, and, you yeah. know, all this is happening over a span of, you know, a second and it's, you know, yeah. it's all this stuff stacking up. That was pretty provocative. I, I feel like there's a, uh, like a lost or breaking bad, uh, whatever the like, uh, precipitating event was that just started a, every single piece of media has a think piece about like, actually they're all dead. Uh, <laughs> Which this is the I think most extreme one I've ever read, Kev. If yeah. you want to try to sum it up, well, so the the fan theory, and I again, I'm not endorsing this. That theory, might be singular. Yeah. There might be one fan. One fan out there. Like, I it. It was yeah, like, is that what happens? Is that Phil dies of like hypothermia in the uh, or like hypothermia starts when he's out uh, arguing with the police officer during the storm. And then he he dies, and that when he meets Ned Ryerson, well, the that's the point was with the cold shower, yeah. right? That's right. Like the he cold gets shower, in the cold shower, of... and he's walking down the hallway, and great. After maybe season the of the movie, yeah. when he's like, "Is there no like?" He says, "Mama, any chances to get some hot water?" <laughs> like, "Oh, well, there wouldn't be any today." No, <laughs> of course not. Of course not. And then the next moment, you see the alarm clock, so you don't see him like going to bed. You don't see him that's winding right. down. You don't. See, so I think this fan's theory was like he slipped and fell and like cracked his head in the shower. Yeah, that's a. I mean, and so that the the part of that theory is that Ned Ryerson is actually the devil, and that, that he's sort of gone. He was done living out all of his sins, uh, and that the devil is basically saying, like, you know, ha ha ha, you know, I've got you now. Like that first step is a doozy, and that every sort of iteration then is like him, you know, being stuck in this hell, uh, you know, whatever version of hell that uh, he's been trapped in, until, as the fan points out he signs up for all this life insurance at the end he sees you know he signs his life away and then he's he's released the curse is over on that night that he spends with Andy McDonald. there's some signs along the way as well of like you know people not acknowledging certain things or that sort of thing mm-hmm. what well, is in that in that sense like if this is purgatory and then he's stuck in purgatory until the devil gets agrees him to get a sign a contract then he can go back to the sort of mortal coil but eventually like his soul is going to be entirely damned because the devil has purchased it. 
I, you know, I don't think that that's actually what happened. And I think it's the sort of stupid shit that people, the internet was invented for, but it is an interesting theory. I mean, Ned Ryerson could be the devil. Like one of the single, like single, single, like, I mean, he had really bad shingles, you know, Bill did in a previous life, Phil had to tell him to not date his sister. So a lot of things, you know, that Bill was was trying to scare away the devil. Belly button. (laughs) Did you go pro that belly button thing? (laughs) <laughs> Only the devil could whistle from his belly button. Uh, uh, I just had some other general kind of questions. Like, all right, so they toast at one point. You know, he he's wooing Rita, and uh, she's like, oh, "Oh, I always toast to world peace." And of course, he has to sort of, "Oh, fuck yeah, I guess I always <laughs> toast to world peace too." Uh, would you guys toast to anything in particular? Do I do. Kind of. I do. I uh, toast to Panther Mike. Okay. Every time I toast, hey, to Panther <laughs> nice. Mike. Neil always toasts to Caster. Cheers, cheers to Caster, uh-huh. brother. It's from could a you, Fast Perfect yeah. Club. I always toast Shanny, but that that's just me. <laughs> Shanny, yeah. Kyle. <laughs> oh, Kyle. Kyle. Yeah. DC, could you explain to the audience who Panther Mike is? Because sometimes I get these like people who come in like, I can't follow NOU because I don't get all the inside jokes. And uh, you know, I think Panther Mike is one of those. Yeah, uh, Panther Mike's a dear, dear friend that we met through our travels. Uh you know, he was a he's a golf professional. I won't say where. Uh, you know, kind of golf professional to to the sport at large uh and, a consummate pro yeah yeah the, the pro and we met him just by chance via the internets and we've kept in touch since and, and his his game and his influence you know reaches far across the game so that's that's all I'm, that's all i'm willing to say about panther mike at this time that's that's appreciative very much appreciative <laughs> uh i don't really have a toast makes me feel like i i need to work a little bit harder to uh to get some kind of toast like i I don't know. Yeah, it's it's a good question. I don't really have a, a go to either. Maybe I'll put that on my list of uh, goals. Yeah. Dotted, yeah, maybe a dotted line goal sheet. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if we get to them, type of goals for for twenty twenty four in the year of reaping. I did make my uh, parents play the Guinness game the other day. They'd never played the Guinness game. We were up at New York yeah, Broadway Park. Uh, not great. Uh, they I don't did think okay. I've ever they gotten th- it. So I'm not one to talk. <laughs> they were th- enthusiastic about it they'll hopefully we'll be playing it again in the future but uh they they could not uh my wife ended up winning got closest yeah. if you can win by getting closest to it's probably that the real true guinness game is that, like there are no winners unless you get it between the harp uh, whatever but jamie weir was telling me that the true irishman play the guinness game you have to split the g exactly guinness. split the fairway where'd you go uh, new york like what, uh what bar uh, you know what? It was just, I think it was uh, Hurley's Bar, which is just like across the street from the theater where we were seeing uh, Hades Town. Okay. Uh, I'm a big Broadway musical guy, DC. Oh. I'm, I'm really uh, hoping to, to uh, as we'll see on the secondary goals pod here, I think one of my goals is going to be uh, multiple musicals this year. Hell yeah. Love so. that. Uh, all right. So if you were stuck in one place for, you know, let's say 10,000 years, what would you do like to like not not even like a broad question of like would you try to fall in love but what would you do in the sense of like would you try to get really good at piano would you try to get really good at golf would you tc would you become like a master chef like i want to hear your guys' thoughts on what you'd use that time for. well i feel like it you know it depends on the place like you know punxatani pennsylvania heart of the midwest right you gotta you know hard to, hard to become a surfer yeah in fact you know early february it's tough to even get good at golf unless you got you know a simulator or something so like i think like, i took this very literally like in this situation in that kind of time and place and everything what would i do and yeah i, I don't really know <laughs> to be honest i don't uh it, it, you know like i guess yeah, like I guess aligning with my personal interests and knowing that you could mess up that many times or try something or master something and something that could take you in so many different directions, it would probably be cooking. But I also don't know if like I could get the proper ingredients on a day-to-day basis every day to do the stuff I wanted to do, you know? Pavatron, better, better ingredients. <laughs> yeah, it kind uh, of matches up with my goal. It's, it's interesting for my mind. You're totally right. My mind went to like, Oh, I just become a really good golfer, but like, what a, what a tough spot to be in because one, you never have any concrete evidence of like anything you're doing, right. Anything's going to go away. 
the next day. So it's not like you can have some multi-day project or some yeah. some painting that you're working on for a thousand years that becomes like some masterpiece because it just goes away at the end of the day. So there's something kind of interesting about that. And then two, yeah, what a bad fate to uh, maybe become the world's greatest golfer but never be able to like play outside would be <laughs> that would be horrible. So I, I'm not I'm not into that. I think I would like try to do music. I would try to sort of, you know. I thought they nailed the piano. The piano yeah. thing is uh -huh. that's a pretty good one. That's pretty and of course, you, you, I think Bill Murray actually does is can play the piano in real life, or at least he's if he's not can't he's been able to fake it really well in music in uh, movies for years because he he certainly nails the like uh, the piano the guy like with sunglasses, you know, winking at the audience kind of look. Uh, maybe even as well as anybody but John Belushi. So you you might say I, I mean uh harkening back to past goals podcasts i mean he may have just gotten really good at the process like yeah. this might be the greatest process movie of of all yeah. time once you it's once true. you let go of the results and you just start embracing the process every day that's you know i think either either that or the devil set him free but you can mm -hmm. you can decide Same which state uh, is the process too you know, <laughs> exactly with, uh, Interesting. I, you know, I was thinking about like in the card throwing scene where people were like, oh, you know, it was probably like a year or two. He was in the thing. No, no. Like he said, he talks at one point about like throwing like cards for eight hours a day. And it's like, <laughs> oh, you can get pretty good at it if you do that. Like, that's like, you know, you got to do that for, that's like such a minor thing. And, and that's a six month endeavor, I would think for eight months a day being a master card thrower. I feel like it's kind of inevitable that, you know, it's almost like the theory of evolution or that, you know, survival of the best form of yourself right like it's almost inevitable that there's a good ending and that there's a positive thing because like like you're going to be predisposed to trying not to be miserable if you know you can't like if this is your fate every single day no matter what you do you're going to wake up you might as well try to take an optimistic view on it because like there's no way out right I'm going to make you, you guys sound like uh, just touchy-feely dorks for a second. But like, how, how would you, for somebody who's never seen this movie, how would you explain like why the curse is broken? Is that I don't think the movie is super clear about it. It's very open to interpretation. You don't know if they've like had sex. You don't know if they fell in love. Keep in mind, like she only really saw this side of him like at the party, right? Isn't that like kind of where she flips on him and then? All of a sudden, she falls into this like eternal love for him. Well, and, it's kind of yeah, like, like it's kind of before the party even, because at the bar you can see like that thought in her head when the other, you know. But even that's like the evening, like, right? Yeah, I think the the movie does a little bit of an emotional cheat in that we, as the audience, have seen Rita like soften yeah. to Phil over mm -hmm. time, but in this iteration where she actually like falls in love with him. It's only like that same sort of day, right? In I think you could propose a theory that like one day is never enough for him to actually make her fall in love with him. But the cheat is essentially that like we as the audience are sort of tricked emotionally into feeling like, oh, it's okay. He, you know, she doesn't have to have like every single thing go right because we're only seeing this sort of window and it's built up in the past. So I, I watching that, I was like, I don't know. Like I... Or if I really have to think of this movie too seriously, which is always a mistake, uh, then I'm not sure that I buy that she would have, you know, fallen in love with it. You know, or he's had millions of opportunities to optimize this. And that's the result. Like it's the most power, you know, he's been building this. It's a great point. It's, you know, it's like a nuclear bomb. Like he's been building this <laughs> impossible thing that, you know, it's, it's, it's not I just his that. life's work. It's, it's the culmination of, millions of lives work you know mm -hmm. well i did said. think initially like that phil's pursuit of i mean this, again this is the first time i've seen it in 20 years but this pursuit of rita was like kind of skeevy and meant to be romantic but then i kind of reimagined it in my mind i was like okay it's initially skeevy but then as he learns more about her and he tries to sort of like get interested in her life then he actually does really fall in love with her as a person and maybe that's what releases him from purgatory it's, it's not that he's trying to sleep with her it's like he's trying to sort of be the better person for her because he actually has fallen in love with her over 10,000 iterations of this chase. Yeah, I, I think that's right. And I think he also just kind of accepts at the end, like the, the basically the stuff he doesn't have power over because he, he has power over mostly everything and manipulate anybody. However, he kind of wants except for, and I think that's like one of the more important scenes, like the old man that no matter what he does, the, the old man dies. And I think that's kind of the first step towards like, 
okay, you don't have ultimate control. You are not a God as you're, as you're saying, you're just this person stuck in this situation. And I think kind of like once he lets his hands off the steering wheel and he, he tries, you know, he stops trying to control everything that that's kind of when the, ultimately the, the curse is broken. Every time I watch it, I see that scene where he goes into the thing. He's asking for the charts, for the old man. I keep thinking, I'm like, Oh my God. Like he, he goes back and then he, and then he, figures out how to be a doctor and he saves the old man and he looks at the, and I'm like, no, he maybe just, he does. But they call him Dr. Murray <laughs> or Dr. Uh, whatever. Dr. Col- uh, Dr. Connors. Collins. Connor. Yeah. Connors. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know. It, but then I have to remind myself, no, he just fucking wakes up the next day. and does it all over again. And <laughs> the guy's alive again, you know? Do you guys think that he ever got like, so I, one thing I wondered in the movie is like, if he stays up till like 4am, does he ever feel like tired the next day? Like, is it is a good night of sleep make any difference in like the next iteration, or is it just like a video game that literally like resets? I think it's like a okay, full reset. I think it's a full. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, otherwise, like he would get stinky too, right? Because he's taking a right. cold shower every day. You know, yeah. well, that's um, tough. Ten thousand years without a hot shower. Yeah. Although I guess you could just go somewhere else. Uh, uh, I, I love what? watching him play Jeopardy. Which was great. That's such a good script. <laughs> yeah. He answers the question before he's done asking it. So good. Uh, another, you know, minor plot hole again. Let's let's not look too deep into it. Doesn't he ever like? What happens if he stays up till six o'clock? He never stays up till six o'clock in this whole movie. Just couldn't do it. He just couldn't couldn't bring himself to go all the way through the night. I mean, I assume that like every time he fell asleep, like that was just the reset. Like, yeah. his, you know, I, I, there had to be maybe he didn't want to address this, but there had to be some iterations where he's like. Oh, if I just stay up for three days, like right. I'll just go as far as I possibly can. Then but as long as like he either died or fell asleep, that his brain reset. But it is on like a second night, he stays up till like four in the morning. Right. And snaps that pencil and is like, oh, fuck. Like, you know, it's over. So. <laughs> Low key, one of my favorite like elements of the cinematography is just the like all the stuff with the clock, all the different so views, good. all the different, you know, close ups. And, it, you know, when he smashes the clock, all that stuff. It's just like, like the clock is such a, central part of this the slow mo the slow motion with the uh yeah. with the pieces with falling the tiles. And, yeah. and the sound design is so good i i used to get so hyped when i was a kid and i would see one of those clocks purely because of this movie apparently the smashing of the clock was a, a like a real thing the clock continued to play the audio uh through it and so they just kept that take in there because it was such a perfect thing that it was continued to sort of warble on even though the clock was uh damaged um all right from my mom Real quick, from my mom, I, I said, uh, "I said, mom, you hated the, the the movie Groundhog Day, right?" She said, "Yes, I did." Why do you ask? I said, "We're doing a podcast about it." What's Breaking it like? news! I love this. She said, "I thought it was funny in parts, but it felt monotonous at times." As Phil tried to make changes, that movie did not grab me like Caddyshack, and I think that's what I was expecting. It's more about expectations. Never had a desire to watch it again to see if I missed something. Not a favorite of, of the Bill Murray movies for me. Huh. Imagine, well, maybe, imagine if it was like super dark the way Bill yeah. wanted it to be. She really hated it. <laughs> I hope Peg will give it another chance after hearing this perfect clip. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, uh, is Andy McDowell's performance in this kind of underrated? Like, so I was thinking about this last night. Murray gets to like tweak, you know, how he plays every different scene, but she has to like nail the same sort of things like in multiple different scenes where it's like, you know, even though the camera's maybe a little different or maybe it's like a subtle difference. She has to essentially play the same thing over and over and over again for order for him to react off of. I think that's a good point. I, I love the scenes in there that are extended versions of the same conversation, just to watch them like be actors for that exact reason. See like how good a carbon copy they can do. No offense to anybody. No offense to anyone. This is a personal opinion. She's not my favorite. Uh, no. I, I don't think she's great, but. I think I think that was uh, would have been better as someone else, but I I do think she's good in those scenes. DJ, I can't believe you would shit on my former neighbor like that. Wow, uh, Andy McDowell she's, lived four houses down. She's uh, our guy, guy, Big T's neighbor. Oh, really? Yeah. How about that? Uh, uh, yeah. So she had a house in Missoula for uh, many years. You know, she she went by a different name. Uh, Rose Qualley was her her sort of, sort of like real life name. Uh, her husband's name is Qualley, and in Margaret Qualley, when I saw her. Margaret Qualley in The Leftovers uh, being very, like, unclothed in, like, the first scene. I was like, oh, shit, like, I got to look away. That's, like, the eight-year-old girl who used to be, like, <laughs> running around down the street uh, from us in Missoula. So, yeah. Uh, Margaret Qualley's great. I, I like her great. a lot. She's great. Annie McDowell, better in other movies. But you're right. It's kind of. Like the, like the commercials. Know. What is it? The, yeah. 
makeup commercials. Yes. What <laughs> all she has to do is like look very pretty. And, yeah. You know, who else? Who else would have suited that, that that role well? We were talking about that. Justine and I were talking about that last night. I I don't uh, like Julia. The one I, I I think she'd be like too famous. I think the producer's supposed yeah. to be kind of like a little bit wet behind the ears, you know, a little yeah. like yeah. But she could do job. like the Aaron Brockovich kind of yeah. thing, right? I threw out uh, Julie Bowen, you know, before her Happy Gilmore breakout. Maybe she would have been a good, a good person. I don't have a I don't have a deep enough knowledge base to pull somebody out of the out of the hat there. It it has to be someone who's not like overwhelmingly striking, right. I think, in like their hotness, right? Because you yeah. have to play a little bit of, I don't know, like a Drew Barrymore wouldn't work. I just don't know. That's a great question. I have to think on that, guys. What do you think the most heinous act that that uh, Phil Connors committed like during his time <laughs> in purgatory, like? He probably committed a murder, right? Like he he killed himself a bunch of times. It doesn't ever address that. Like he killed the groundhog. You know, did kill the groundhog? That's right. That is a murder right there. Uh, you know, I mean, I I, I shudder to sort of a wonder, like, because there are no consequences. At some point, you'd be like, well, maybe I want to see like how far I can push this. Like maybe I could just be like a truly horrible, horrible person. Well, Ian, do you think like that the, stuff pushed him farther? Like it made it take longer for him to. Yeah. You know, it's it's kind of the, the like the scales of justice. The more of those days you stack up, the you know, the, the longer your sentence is, kind of. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't think about it that way. What if he got a, a thirst for blood and he became like the Puxatawney Ripper? It was like, how many people can I kill in a single day? Well, I think that that scene where he like he robs the truck and then the next scene he pulls up in that Mercedes and he's dressed like Clint Eastwood and he's got that like escort with him or whatever, which is never really like, explained. Uh, I think that, you know, kind of tips their hands to like he, he's willing to like go with some pretty elaborate stuff to like keep himself entertained i gotta think that's got a dark side to it you know i don't think it's just like messing with the guys from the bowling alley uh so yeah i hate i i hate to uh or i hesitate to put any specifics out there kev but i think it probably got pretty dark i'll tell you what he should have done he should have gone down the road to to state college and put a stop to everything that was going on Mm. in joe pop yes well said could have yeah. been like eleven twenty two sixty three. That Stephen King, exactly. That Stephen King book. It's just we about- can't change the future though. Even if he kills Joe Paterno or like kills Jerry Sandusky or like you know, <laughs> maybe he stays awake. Maybe we don't know. Maybe if he can True. stay awake for you know twenty years, TC, he can really like get this shit under wraps. I think the problem is that he couldn't escape the town. Right. The, the idea that there was only one town, one yeah. road in and out of uh, Puxatawney. Oh, that's right. A little bit flawed. Well, yeah, yeah, but back uh, but back the- to Pittsburgh, not. We don't know about the other way. That's right? true. He could have gone the other way. He could get creative. He could have got a chopper. He could have. He had basically access to unlimited cash. He yeah. could have. He could have made money gambling. You know, it could have been a Back to the Future two situation. He I knew always, exactly what. I always happened. feel bad for the guy in the in the in the armored truck. The old guy who gets <laughs> such a good cash <laughs> boosted from him. Did I have two of these bags or three? <laughs> and you know that guy's got to like. He, he's got to steal that money every single time right yeah. in order to be able to accomplish some of the things so every day that guy like gets fired or gets prosecuted or gets you know what shamed of his job what was that guy's name ruben or sydney I think the other like guy's something? name is ruben right so it's one of those but the point yeah. is it's the same name as the guy whose back he fixes at the end so tc oh, he, really? he i think he sees the error of his ways you know maybe hey I, I don't want this guy to get fired and he fixes his back and that's when he's like the guy's wife is like, uh, you know, oh, he can help her out. He can help out around the house again. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's the same guy. Um, is this the darkest comedy ever made? Like, what what else would if be you in think the about running? it for an hour? Like we have, yeah. Like, it might be. <laughs> <laughs> what what else would be in the running? Oh man, uh, like Death of Smoochie, Cable Guy. That movie's dark. It's yeah, uh, it's uh, Felix and Herman are the two. That's right. So I think it's Felix. Okay. Like, so like, thanks for oh, yeah. Felix's yeah. back or whatever. Uh, God, Kev, I think there's, I think there's a big long list. I, I, I don't think they even sniffed making this one as dark as as they could have. That's yeah. true. All right. Well, the darkest, I, like super duper broad comedy. Comedy. Okay. That's a darkest like mainstream comedy. I mean, this was certainly like a mainstream release where now you can make a pretty fucking dark comedy and put it on Hulu and right. like yeah. or Apple TV, and very few people are gonna. Because that's the other thing. Like he's he's at a he's at an inflection point in his career where he wants to not be typecast, but you don't like 
like you want it to be successful and have mainstream appeal still as well, you know? So I think he had a vested interest as well. And, or, or maybe, you know, uh, everybody else who wanted it to be a comedy was like, no, like kept him, you know, kept him from going too far in that direction. But that, that would be a very What's interesting the- question of like, Hey, Hey, like making this a drama, like how, how dark would Bill have made it if left to yeah. his own devices? Well, it's like the Lennon and McCartney thing is like you, you need both of them, right? To sort of push pull, like, you know, otherwise you get like some really corny, stupid shit or some really weird shit. Like there's great tension in that creative uh, partnership. Uh, on the flip side, is this like one of the most romantic films ever made? Like Phil spends like every day through eternity trying to be the person he needs to be in order for Rita to love him. Apologies to my neighbor, Adney McDowell, uh, aside, Deech, uh, there's kind of a very unsweetness to it. Like The reason it works, I think, is because... It's like, oh, what would you do if you, you know, wanted to win the love of the person who you thought was like a really good person? You'd probably make yourself into a good person through like 10,000 years of, you know, remaking. It's hard not to watch that last, whatever it is, 10 minutes and with, with, without like a big smile on your face, right? Like as he's saving the kid from the tree and he's going from mm-hmm. thing to thing. It's just, I mean, it's great. You it's, never say thank you. <laughs> I'll see you tomorrow, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Uh, it's so sweet. He's going and say like, and he just plays it so well where he's, oh, you know, doctor, it's more of an honorary title. You know, like he just, he downplays all that stuff so well that the whole tone of of all that is is just pitch perfect i, I love well, that's it. that sequence right is the, the essence of like what made bill murray such a charismatic like fun person right is you can't he's like done like horrible things he's you know been a dick at the beginning of the movie and yet like you cannot help but love him he just has that like energy and charisma in those kind of things where you're like god this fucking guy's great like <laughs> i just love love old bill murray man like it you know that's why he is one of the most famous people of our lifetime. Even like within uh, the, that snowball fight when he's putting on like kind of in that, I'm trying to think which phase it's in. I don't know if it's in like the nihilism phase or the, the you know, hedonism phase or whatever, but he's having the snowball fight with the kids and he's, and he, he says, uh, uh, what does he say? Um, he says a real humdinger over here. <laughs> he's talking about adopting and all that stuff. Oh my gosh, are you kids available for adoption? Like that sequence is so funny. Well, it's so like that's what's so awesome about like the little touches of this movie is like they do such a good job of making the first snowball fight feel so authentic. And when they show him like <laughs> trying to hit fast forward and trying to like speed up <laughs> to, to the ocean, oh, hey, hey guys, <laughs> oh, no, oh, I got a kid just threw a snowball at me. <laughs> It's so, it's so good. I, I that stuff is is awesome. Uh, what is that strikes me because that that was probably certainly my short list of favorite scenes in the film. What are your guys' favorite scenes in this film? Do you have any sort of things you want to call out? This is kind of stream of consciousness, but a, a massive Chris Elliott fan. We haven't mentioned him yet. The Bachelor auction, just all the like gyrations and stuff he does uh, to try to get auctioned off after Bill Murray gets sold for three hundred some dollars is is so good. Chris Elliott is so underrated. Glad he got kind of a good second act on Shit's Creek. I've always always loved him. Uh, that whole last scene's great. The whole last, the whole like final day um, is is really good. I love when he's he's going around the diner, saying a little snippet about each person is is really great what what jumps to mind for you guys i loved when he walks up to the guy you know in the hallway this is near the beginning he's like don't mess with me pork job <laughs> I, I love that i love when chris when chris elliott the camera guy keeps uh keeps filming after uh after the truck goes off the cliff and he goes oh maybe he's gonna be okay and he could be okay and then it blows well, not now. and then he picks the camera back up and keeps filming i love when he's sitting there you know they're in the hospital and he's like oh, he was uh, at the morgue he was already at the morgue he's, he's a really nice guy he was really good guy. i really i really liked him a lot yeah. it's the best he's, he's the best man uh i loved in the diner when he he, he takes the coffee to the face like he, he just <laughs> takes the whole carafe of coffee stuffs Great. that whole piece of cake in his mouth yeah, yeah. i think my like the simple thing that i like really enjoy the most and one that i just think of for years and years after watching this movie is when you know she's like oh you're gonna laugh but like i studied french poetry and he was like oh god what a waste of time and then it immediately cuts back to like oh you're gonna laugh but i studied french poetry and then he reads that french poem and she's like you speak french and he goes 
we. It's <laughs> <laughs> like so perfectly played in terms of comedy, like beat. Uh, it just that's whatever over and over that scene has stuck with me for years. I the thing that stuck with me forever since I was a ten year old kid is watching him when uh, you see Larry turn on the camera for the first time when he's he's doing the stand up in front of the uh, groundhog and he's counting down three two one and the the one is the middle <laughs> finger. It's just such a such a good little touch. Uh, there's so I, many, so many of the one-liners with Larry are just so good. His stand-up when he's at like the bleakest, most nihilistic <laughs> moments, when he's like calling the guys out on air. <laughs> it's great. Like, and then he, he flips it all. He used to eat this shit. He used to he used to do real stuff around here. <laughs> and then he he flips it, the one at the end when he's quoting Chekhov, and all the other yeah. reporters are just sticking their their mics in front of him. I mean, it's the other reporters interviewing him is it, a great touch. Like they're want to capture him another one Kev. Uh, i'm surprised we haven't pointed this out yet uh this is kind of bleak but there's no way that this is a three-person job anymore this is yep. one reporter who has to drive from pittsburgh they got to shoot their own shit there's Do no setup yep they got to send it you know find some mcdonald's to go bum wi-fi and send their report back in it's that, that's the maybe the most unrealistic part we, of the whole we should have had lou turner on we should have true exactly. we should have had lou Do the this. collapse of media Means that Groundhog Day could not happen anymore because there'd be no one to fall in love with. There's yeah, no exactly. producer. Everybody's yeah. alone. You live alone. You die alone. That's the like probably film it with this. You might even film it with a cell phone as a, exactly. <laughs> a selfie so Streaming gotta, a Facebook. Yeah, live. you got to cut the cut it down yourself. Post it to the the station's Facebook page. Yeah, oh, all this stuff. Tough. Couldn't go get breakfast. All that. Uh, I like some of the opening scenes as well. Of just like when he's doing the weather report in the studio. Like there's yeah. just so many. <laughs> It's just so many, like, and like you, like it's Bill. He's just so funny. It's it's so well delivered. It is, uh, guys. What do we think that Phil's life would be like after he escaped purgatory? Because he would have infinite skills and the perspective of a man who oh. also died infinite number of times. Like he really would be like one of the great Americans to to exist. I would think. I think he'd definitely get that other job in the bigger market at a, <laughs> at a minimum. I think so. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know where would it carry him? I mean, would you, what would you want to do? All of a sudden you could be like a concert pianist or you could be like a philosopher or you could be, you know, a, a college professor or yeah, really you could just be like a great golfer. Wouldn't he be kind of, wouldn't he feel kind of lost afterwards or, or, or I guess fulfilled and top of the mountain. And then a lot of your motivation would be turned towards your relationship and you would feel well, like maybe that. Or or, or have would, bad habits because you keep starting over and you can't start over in real life. You just have to keep living mm -hmm. with your mistakes, right? But that's the end. That's the end of the movie. He's just embraced the the process and just making every like living every day to the fullest, no matter even if it's the same day every you know over and over again. I think if yeah. he, I think he's in fully in, he's he's reached enlightenment. I think he's he's in total god mode at that point. God, I don't Love know. What, I mean, I, yeah, I, I think there's a very interesting like. Uh, very literal question about like well clearly he's not just like go to a nine to five job so how does he uh like how does he go and like just acquire generational wealth so he doesn't have to work anymore like literally what do you think he does to to do that man because <laughs> now things have consequences yeah so maybe he just became like a really good poker player or something and uh he could go do that i'm just trying to think which of his skill sets would be well i wonder if he, he, he could be a concert pianist like he could be yeah. that's a slow build though you know he's not going to get a big lump sum of cash i wonder if he'd be, have any regrets like oh shit i should have like studied medicine or i should have studied you know stock market or something maybe but he did like, we just don't know it exactly that's true there's could be a lot of things in there well i mean i, I i'm certainly glad that we watched this again i feel like uh it was a good especially with groundhog day coming up it's another reason i wanted to time this i feel like uh you know, we get one inch closer to to having uh, spring come around. Uh, it's always good to be sort of reminded of uh, you know of, of these quintessential uh, important comedies. Uh, I actually, you know, just other movies have sort of stolen this premise, guys. Uh, Edge of Tomorrow. I don't know if you've seen that. The Tom Cruise yeah, of course. movie. That's a fucking great sci-fi movie. <laughs> it's awesome. It it is truly truly good. It it should have been like a much bigger. This is like one of Bill Simmons' uh, hobby horses, but it's it should have been a much bigger hit uh it's it just has a sort of it's a cruise at his like charismatic fun best and it sort of like has the video game element of like oh you you know you live die repeat like each day if you fail in your mission like you end up dying each time 
Uh, and Palm Springs, which was a Hulu movie uh, with Andy Samberg uh, and uh, Christine Maloti, I think, uh, is actually really, really funny. Same, almost exact same premise. Uh, two people are stuck in the same time loop. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's like a romantic comedy that doesn't really get made uh, that much anymore. Certainly not made and released, uh, you know, as a studio release. You can get them sometimes on the streamers. But that movie made me laugh out loud probably three or four times Uh enjoyed it very much so um i would say go check those out uh if you haven't seen them so here here all right well i think that's a good wrap spot i'm uh glad we were able to sort of uh get this perfect club in guys uh i don't know maybe we should take some you know solicitations for like what other perfect clubs we ought to be doing you know please let's uh, let's, uh i feel like the trap draw or... may need to go do a, an on location report one year from gobbler's from knob ground. <laughs> yes it's not that far from my house tc you come up here you know you could play oakmont i could play some you know, not in not in february and no i mean like going true. too that's right? true you know i mean although there's no snow on the ground so it's very possible that and unless oakmont is like closed off like augusta for three four months a year uh they might have you out a big c-suite guy like yourself if if that falls through and you guys ever want a tour of woodstock illinois you, you give me a shout very much so. How far is Woodstock from like uh, Belleville? From uh, my my guy Jeff Tweedy and, uh, uh, and Belleville's uh, Jeff... way south. That's oh, like okay, yeah, yeah. That's like almost St. Louis. Okay, I drove through Belleville when I would, took my daughter to the uh, St. Louis uh, gymnastics trials, and I was like, oh god, this looks exactly like the kind of bleak town where uh, <laughs> alt country guys would meet and and form Sunbolt. Uh, unfortunately, so, they're they're probably <laughs> six hours apart from each other, but uh, they look. Everything in between looks looks pretty much the same. We so go to Joliet. Uh, uh, what was it the Jailers? The team. That uh, the Joliet Slammers. Slammer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Bill just uh, was part of the ownership group that just bought the Joliet Slammers. So, uh, yeah, we can put together a nice little weekend, guys. Looking looking yeah. forward to it. That sounds great. All right. Well, uh, you guys uh, enjoy. Anybody listeners out there, enjoy your spring. I hope you. I hope it comes sooner than rather than later. Uh, and thanks for joining us on the Trap Draw. Cheers. Nice is the spot for the Trap Draw. Hey. 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 I told him, straight drop this and Ziploc that. Right on my waistline is why I kept that strap. I remember nights. I didn't remember nights. I damn near went crazy. I had to get it right. Now I'm your favorite rapper's favorite rapper. Hey, now I'm your favorite trapper's favorite trapper. The absolute truth, yeah, no joke.